Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Elks Club Murder, Where's Joe, and Smoker Car Baby. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Crystal... Robert. Yes, that is my name. <laughs> I recently I went by the post office and I mailed off a little piece of paper uh-huh. that ho- hopefully signifies the last shred of any sort of connection with that damn cannon that I've been trying to get rid of. Oh my god. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um so- so longtime listeners will remember, maybe I'm, I'm certain we've spoken about this, but the, probably the last time was years ago. Um, you were facilitating the storage of a replica. It was a replica, right? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not of it. It was not made in the period, uh, but it is something yeah. built to uh, in the by the same same specifications. Okay, but so it is a replica Civil War cannon mm-hmm. on a trailer. So it weighed mm-hmm. several tons. Uh, for a while, this is pre-podcast, but for a while when I lived in Sacramento, the cannon uh, lived in our driveway. And um, then someday, at some point, I said, you got to get this out of here, man. Because like too many people were just knocking on our door asking about it. <laughs> Like there was just like we had a lot of inquiries, even though there wasn't like a for sale sign or anything like that. And also like what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the amount of yokels we got where it was like, I saw something interesting in your yard. And it's like, um, well, you can observe and keep walking. Uh <laughs> so anyway, you had to come get it. And then at some later date, you purchased the cannon, that same cannon. And yeah. now you were you you're free of it. I hope this cannon's been like that ring out of Lord of the Rings. You just can't get rid of it, right? Yeah, but did uh, it make you invisible? Yeah, if it had, I probably would have would still be in possession of it at this point. <laughs> yeah. That um, though, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like that depends. Do I have to be touching the cannon to be invisible? Yeah, I mean, if you're going by by the the rules of the ring um i think you would have to maybe insert a fist or something into the opening of the cannon for it to work that way i see i see the heaviness Uh, of it really seems to be the hindrance to being being a good invisibility cloak yeah it would it wouldn't be worth it i'd still be rid of this cannon um it's been a pain in my in my posterior for, for too long too much of a headache and, uh, yeah, Robbie, this is... you know, we have the explicit warning. You can swear on this podcast. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, you are. You are correct. Gosh. <laughs> Damn it. Um, uh, I, well, this is part of a, just a general thing of me, you know, simplifying my life and clearing stuff out. Right. The fewer things yeah. I have, the happier I'll, I'll be. Yeah, I'm I'm a um, I find a lot of joy in getting rid of things. I want fewer things, but it seems like every time I throw something away, five new things appear in the house. So, ooh, ooh yeah, that's not that's not the good that's not the right ratio. You, you, you like, yeah. I, I mean, 
I tried to go with like, if I get something, I have to get rid of two things. Yeah. Well, this, you know, when you don't live alone. Oh, yeah. That complicates matters. This is what happens. I feel like I'm trying to put the house in parity. So not that we have fewer things, just that we're not taking on more Mm -hmm. things than we're getting rid Mm -hmm. of. Because we have a lot of shit. And to be very clear, it's my husband that has a lot of shit. I didn't move in here with that much. I lived in a one-bedroom apartment, had the exact right amount of things for a one-bedroom apartment without any auxiliary storage. And then I've gotten rid of a lot of things since I've moved. Gotten rid of a couch. That happened a couple months ago. Got rid of another chair that I had. So very little of my uh, apartment life exists. Got rid of a lot of clothes. Got a lot of stuff out of the kitchen. And yet our dining room table is covered with Amazon and other such boxes (laughs) at this time. So I I, I will. One of those is mine, to be honest. But um, but 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 I have just a tricky yes. game i had noticed in the past that you know you're the various places that you've lived in that i visited they they had a level of sparseness to them that i really appreciated uh, yes thank you oh yeah if i lived alone i mean <laughs> <laughs> i I, mean, I had the right amount of things i felt like for someone who lived in an apartment with a dog like i had enough things to be comfortable And and since then, I've gotten rid of so many more things. I'm like, actually, I need fewer things to be comfortable than I thought I needed. Um, But, uh, you know, this is this this is going to be the struggle for the rest of my life is trying to just keep parity in the home. And then, uh, you know, eventually at some point there will be children involved and then that's going to be another battle. Right you have kids people like to give you shit and i have to i'm gonna have to wield no like a sword just do not give us stuff absolutely crystal you i'm glad that you're already thinking on these things because that that is very crucial uh my because yeah people are just like oh well you will get we'll get them this for the kid and this and like the like one thing i i feel is very useful you know, if they're, if they're giving you something for a kid that's one or two or three or, you know, whatever, you know, don't don't give us something that is like has a lots of little pieces that could just be strewn all over the ground by a little kid who's running around. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I also just want to, like, reduce the amount of plastic in our house because I don't like the look or feel of it. And it isn't even really for any environmental reason. It's just. Just like, but somehow plastic just became the like material of everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so sick of looking at it. Like, I don't want plasticky things in my home. And that's a lot of kid stuff, right? That. I mean, now that we're in like in a more environmentally, con- I don't know why I'm on this tangent, but now that we're like more environ, I had to do some baby shopping because a friend recently had a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, they had like reusable bamboo utensils and like everything was very eco reusable kind of stuff and very low on the plastic and i really appreciated that because the i'm glad those products are out there but it's also like just like like there's like newborn babies that are being born with like plastic in their bodies already yeah 
Yeah, my... It's too much plastic. Yeah, the person who's in charge... (laughs) Sound just like the person who's in charge of my program. She, um... She's she's, she's very anti-plastic, and I think, like, just listening to her talk about it has just sort of affected me and how I go about stuff, intentionally or not. So... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it's really horrifying when you think about it. Anyway, but yeah, we were, you are free of a cannon, which was not made of plastic. It was made of uh, whatever, iron. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Um, uh, it's just, it's just nice to have, not have that hanging over my head at all. um, Well, considering how heavy it was, that seems like a really precarious place to have kept it. (laughs) It's hanging over your head. Yeah, that would have been extraordinarily dangerous. We're talking about like a neck injury, at least. Uh, right? Well, I think you would probably be fatally crushed, if not <laughs> completely paralyzed. Yeah, that's actually if that yeah. rolled even rolled onto you, let alone fell on you. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that's correct. Um, yeah, so living a a cannon free life—that's what I'm doing now. Oh, good for you. So. Welcome, welcome back to Canon Free Living. Thank you, thank you. Um, speaking of living, or maybe an yeah. absence of, <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Our first segment uh, concerns a, felt really natural. Yeah. <laughs> Our first segment concerns a um, person who was murdered. I don't know about you, but I noticed like. When it started out, and they t- started talking about the the town of East Chicago in what was it, Indiana? Uh-huh. Still, I noted that the opening music sort of had a nineteen twenties Chicago ish <laughs> yeah. theme to it. The segment introduced us to a Mister Jay Given, who was uh, apparently a party machine boss. Do we know which party? No, th- they even say th- no. They they do not mention uh, the political. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Uh, well, huh. well, I mean, okay. We'll keep talking, and I'll I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, given uh, he helped get a guy named Bob Pastrick elected, was it mayor? Yeah. The opening narration of Unsolved Mysteries they they reveal that. Starting in the 1970s, the the party machines started to break down. Um, Crystal, what's your thoughts on party machines in big cities? Um, I don't know anything about them <laughs> to even ha- have formed an opinion. Mm. Because really, the only experience I have with any kind of political machinery is in Nevada. That was really the only time I was involved and um oh, yeah and, and you know you know all about that so and that was that was state state and county party stuff so there was no big city involved right and and, and but, modern uh, modern party politics it's not like how it was when in the era of the machines um in the same way at least i, I don't think so i mean um well i mean like uh, you know obviously we we've all seen an american tale you know, with Fievel. Yeah. Uh, not Fievel uh-huh. Goes West. I actually had a co-worker once who who was aware of Fievel Goes West. And mm-hmm. it shattered their mind when I told them that there was actually another American Tale film. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah. 
And it's the original one. <laughs> like what you watched was a sequel. And she was just like, like, like her mind looked like it was melting just under like this revelation. Um, but in an American tale, we have a depiction of like uh, a mouse political machine. Like there was like, so, I don't know, I guess was he supposed to be Irish, an Irish mouse? He- I don't think so. No. His name is Fievel. So no 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 five on his family yeah they were like Jewish Russian but but there was a yeah. but there was a par- big party machine mouse uh, who was Irish right okay yeah because because you know in a lot of the eastern cities you had like I you had like Irish uh, political machines or maybe Italian or yeah, they're often related to immigration and we we tend to associate mm-hmm. these with corrupt. Corrupt, you know, backroom dealing, you know, a lot of cigar smoking. Um, Though I did read something interesting in graduate school where there someone made an argument that these party machines actually helped immigrants uh, like get entrenched into American life because they, you know, Mm -hmm. when the immigrants came off the boats, the machines, you know, they'd find a place for them to live and they make some arrangement to find them a job and so forth. Um so, you know, they're like, I guess the person's argument was like these party machines were kind of like uh, sort of like a grease that helped the wheels of like immigration and assimilation and, um, you know, just kept hmm. it smooth or whatever. But anyway. But there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. Oh, there are no cats in America. So set your mind as Unsolved Mysteries showed us, the 1970s machines started to break down. I don't know why mm-hmm. I felt compelled to talk about an Fievel and an American Tale. I guess, I guess I, mm-hmm. my brain was trying to find an example of a, a party boss, and naturally went to that one mouse, uh, party mouse. And gosh, uh, anyway, so Jake Evans was not a mouse. I have an answer. Yeah. By the way, for which party? Okay, I'm gonna guess. No, you tell me. No, go ahead, guess. You have a 50 50 chance of being correct. Uh, so. Well, it's Indiana, so I'm gonna guess Republican? It's not. Oh. It was the uh, Democratic Party. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, Jay, so at least that's what I learned by looking up the mayor. I see. That Jay Given helped a lot. Bob Pastrick. Yeah, so yeah, that, a, one, yeah, that would make yeah. sense. Hmm. East Chicago, huh? Never even heard of the place, but apparently it's... No. Yeah. Well, it's probably east of Chicago. Yeah. Illinois. Yeah. Indiana's east of Chicago, right? Yeah. What are we talking about here? I don't know. Um, But yeah, uh, the party machine started to break down, and I guess Jake Gibbons was souring on Bob Pastrick a bit. Hmm. So we got hmm. yeah. So we had a reenactment that took place at an Elks Club. I got excited, when which is so weird because we were just talking about this on the last podcast. Was it not? Yes, it was the last one. We we're talking about uh, how I wanted to join the Elks Club. Right, right. I, I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little concerned now because I don't want you to be gunned down. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, this, this want to join a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah, this Elks Club was hosting a uh, like a Las Vegas themed casino uh, night. Um, 
as a mm. fundraiser for uh I didn't catch the name completely. I guess the politician was named N. Anderson Span. Is that right? N. Adderson Span. Adderson Span. You're very close. But good job. Yeah. Oh, I'm just glad I got the span part right. Um, uh, who, uh, like, I guess there there was the, the perception that Jay Givens, uh, Given may have been wanting to cultivate him as a possible person to challenge and defeat Bob Pastrick for mayor. Uh, I guess um, this would have uh, this would have represented a partnership. Uh, Jay Given had the uh, like a party machine that that could turn out white people. And uh, in Anderson Span was uh, uh, he had the um, the the African-American party machine. I get and I guess uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Pastrick was backed by the Hispanic machine. I I guess uh, I guess East Chicago's. very diverse place uh, yeah yeah uh, i mean when i think of indiana i'm sorry i'm not trying to be stereotype here but when i think of indiana i just think of wall-to-wall white people in cornfields wearing basketball uniforms i but i love you people Fair. in indiana please continue to listen to our podcast yes thank you all the white people in indiana who listen to us <laughs> Who are we kidding? No one listens to this podcast. I don't care what the scoreboard says. At the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. You know what? I had people last weekend trying to tell me not only did they listen to it and that they enjoyed it. And I was like, first of all, you know, I I love it when people blow smoke up my ass. (laughs) But you don't need to lie to me. And they're like, no, really. And I was like, okay, you're all full of shit. No, we're authentic Uh, rumpers. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Well, uh, but that must have been gratifying to hear. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So we get a little reenactment of Jay Gibbons. He's walking out of the Elks Club and out of nowhere, a gun just appears in frame right behind his head and shoots him. It was pretty. Yep. Quite almost startling. It was. It was almost as if a disembodied arm was holding a gun and like, you know what I mean? Oh, that now that's interesting. So, like, you were sort of mentally picturing just like a uh, like an arm sort of floating in the air with a gun. Yeah. Okay. I I'm down for that. I mean, mine was was sort of sort of slightly different. It was like an arm coming out of a portal holding a gun. But I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, they're very similar in terms of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So there was um, they talked with a, a Paul Deshara. Who mm-hmm. uh, I just think of him as eye patch guy because he has an eye patch mm-hmm. on, and mm-hmm. he they have a little reenactment of him <laughs> examining the evidence because they got like a, a bullet and a casing, and he was talking about like yeah I was really surprised me how good good of condition this th- evidence was in, so we mm-hmm. have a little reenactment of of him just putting the evidence in this drawer and locking the drawer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprise, surprise, like he comes back later and finds that the evidence been, has been tampered with to try, you know, someone trying to make it so you can get the whatever they do when they run these sort of tests. But the, the this evidence gets sent to the FBI and then they determine that it was a detonics gun uh, that had fired this bullet. And, and there were only 58 that, that it could have possibly mm-hmm. been. And strangely enough, one of those 58 belonged to a guy named John Cardona, Donna, Mm -hmm. uh, who was the deputy chief at that very 
at the in that very same town. Yeah, the deputy deputy chief of police. Right, and then we get a little reenactment because apparently John was present at the casino night, uh, which was really weird because he was associate. I guess he was affiliated with Bob Pastrick's Hispanic political machine, and like I guess my. <laughs> I guess the reason we know he was there is because John said he was, right? Like, mm -hmm. no one else, like, really identified him, but he was like, yeah, I was there. And I was there to watch mm -hmm. Jay Given. Uh, not, 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 mm -hmm. you know, his, his suggestion was he was there to watch him politically just to see, you know, if he could observe anything that might be useful for Pastrick to use against Given. Uh, I love the reenactment, though, because... I'm assuming in real life he was across the room just watching the guy, but instead they have him sitting like right next to him at a different table, mm -hmm. uh, which is just a little conspicuous to to my taste, but whatever. I mean, he sits right behind him. Yeah, he's basically like riding riding him like a backpack. I mean, he's so close. I mean, like, I feel like, honestly, if this was happening in real life, at some point, Given would have turned around like, look, dude, can you stop fucking following me everywhere? I know where you're here. Fine, whatever. But just feel like you're just, like, attached, you know, to my back at this point. Mm -hmm. The segment sort of ends with this little reenactment of, like, some people going down the stairs that lead out to the entrance uh, entrance exit. And they said the narration said there were five people walking down the stairs and the three men at the front, like. Seem to have been down near the bottom where when the gunshot goes off in the reenactment, you see the three guys all turn in unison and look at where presumably the shooting had happened. And Unsolved Mysteries tells us that, like, you know, people investigating would very much like to talk to one of these three people because hopefully they saw something that could help. Help them solve this mystery. I'm assuming mm -hmm. none of those guys step forward because we don't get any updates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of shit in the wiki that I could read through, but that's not very... In I mean, there's a lot of ins and outs, dude. There's a lot of new shit has come to light. But uh, mm. I, I think, you know, they probably had it solved when they fingered Cardona for it, who was there. Right. Who had the gun who had access to tamper with the evidence, but it seems like, and this is also what Jay's family is sort of convinced of. It seems like there's just enough infrastructure and, you know, thin blue line shit that, you know, cops aren't going to rat another cop out. And for whatever reason, they, they uh, wanted whoever Jay was putting up, they wanted the other guy to win the race for sheriff or something like that. If I got that okay. correct. It just seems like one of those things where they ran up against a whole bunch of people who aren't willing to talk, including witnesses, because there was 400 people in that building that night and nothing, nobody saw somebody get shot right in the back of the head in the lobby. I mean, OK, <laughs> sure, uh, <laughs> except those people who are on the staircase. But, you know, who knows who got to them? say hey you know i you know i understand oh, you know it could be a lot of the stuff oh you got a brother who's in lockup well maybe we could get you know if you just uh, don't happen to be around when the police want to question you and also how hard was this being investigated seems right. like they kind of knew who did it and you know like you so. said i mean 
he was there and he owned one of the 58 of those guns. So that would, that would seem to strongly suggest it was him. Yeah, it seems like all of the at least circumstantial evidence points to Cardona. I don't know. I don't want to say too much. Uh, dude's still alive. We can still get sued. I guess he lives in Florida or whatever. So. Oh, I thought we weren't caring about that anymore. It wasn't just a few episodes. We were go- we were like. Oh, yeah. Come, yeah. come at me, bros. He, he's guilty. Yeah. That guy's guilty. I. This person's guilty. <laughs> he totally yeah, did it. He, he definitely did that. No, I'm not. I'm not willing to say Cardona did it, but based on the information that we're given in this segment, it seems very highly likely he was involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's it's pretty so compelling stuff, it seems to me. Yeah, it's not like the last what was that? The the guy who definitely killed his wife? Was that the last episode we <laughs> Um We had a lot of guys who were I think definitely it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 That guy definitely killed his wife. Um well, I thought this was an interesting segment, at least mm-hmm. held my attention. I was excited to see the Elks Club. I was that alone <laughs> held my interest. Yeah, the Elks Club on Las Vegas Casino Night was very exciting. A Las Vegas Casino Night in East Chicago. <laughs> East Chicago, in what nineteen eighty? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think this was. Yeah, you know what smelled crazy in there though? <laughs> oh God, it must have been horrible. <laughs> Um, I could see the air in the reenactment. I can only imagine the real thing must have been really. <laughs> yeah. Um. um. Hey, speaking of retiring to Florida, <laughs> is our next segment involving Florida, Crystal? It sure does. Mm. I think, unless yeah, I'm it does. It does. Again, I'm sorry. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to sell the. the okay. I, was tra- I, was tra- I was trying to play along. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I once again I have oh, totally. Oh, okay. I was like, oh no. I've, 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 I haven't ordered my tabs in my browser correctly to the what we're. Yeah. No. About. No. No worries. You are correct. It is at Florida because at one point I looked up a town involved in this segment because I was. Well, mm-hmm. we'll find out later. So we're gonna talk about. Uh, we're going to go on down south. Um, now, I would be wanting to hear, and I do know we have fans in Florida. I would be wanting to hear from some Floridians who are willing to self-identify exactly what part of the state they come from. Do you guys consider yourself Southern? Because I feel like the rest of the South does not claim Florida. But then I saw this segment, and I'm like... This is feels very southern. Yeah, it was me. strange. I was like, cowboys in Florida. Mm, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah, rodeo. So, so we're we're gonna go on down to Lakeland, Florida. I guess that's in the central part of the state. Um, I've often heard there's there's that saying that like in Florida, the further north you go in the state, the more south you're you're at, you're in. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone in Miami is gonna consider themselves a southerner. No. no. But where's the cutoff? Is it Lakeland? Is it further? I don't know. I don't know anything about Florida. I really don't. Um, But I guess if you're going up the shaft of Florida, Lakeland would be somewhere in the middle of it. Oh, my God. Anywho. Yeah, so uh, the segment opens up with... uh, We get introduced to the reenactor who's playing Larry Costine, and he is a rancher. 
and uh, he's about 30 years old. He's a prolific uh, horseback rider. He's, you know, he's like a, I'm going to say fourth or fifth generation rancher in Central Florida. Again, I'm like, I didn't know there were ranches in Central Florida. Yeah, that's the thing. It just just felt weird because it's like, it feels like, it feels like this segment should be like taking place in like Colorado or Nevada or something. Uh Uh-huh. Um. Or even just like East Texas. Yeah, or Texas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, I don't know anything about, like, this is the handful of things I know about Florida. There's alligators. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the hanging Chad debacle of the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami is there. Um, As is Orlando. Orlando is also there. Y'all got some kind of, store called Publix, which apparently has amazing sandwiches. So that would probably be my first stop, honestly, if I found myself in Florida, is to um, go to Publix. I'd get a sandwich. But anyway, I digress. Okay, No, that's not a digression, because I would have done the exact same thing. That's like all I know about Florida. Sorry. Florida just be hot with good sandwiches. We we have a very serious matter that we need to talk about. Larry started dating Melissa Joe Sermons, um, uh, and Larry had recently separated from his wife, and Melissa had just broken up with her other cowboy boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and all all of this revolves around Uncle Erlo. Now, er, Uncle Erlo owns the ranch, and Larry works on the ranch for Uncle Erlo, but also this ex boyfriend of Melissa's works on the ranch. So she's just plowing her way through uncle Erlo's ranch, I guess. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, because it's very touchy situation. What with Larry not being completely divorced at this point and Melissa's ex-boyfriend being a fucking weirdo, (laughs) uh, they decide to keep the relationship secret. (laughs) Don't you love the reenactment of the ex-boyfriend? Like he's in the bar in the, structure or whatever and he's looking out between the yeah. the, the wood panels at at larry and melissa and yeah. there's just the sinister music playing he's scowling yeah yeah he's just scowling yes. at them um so according to melissa's mother who was interviewed for the segment that this what's the ex-boyfriend's name where is i it? never wrote it down he's like not even did they even mention it i don't think his. i feel like I, th- I feel like it's possible. Danny Cerizo, but no, they don't. They don't mention yeah, it. I, I, I definitely like. I would have written down a misspelled and hastily jotted <laughs> note on on his name had they said it. It was it was sort of weird. They kind of like he was you know he's mentioned as a possibility in passing, but it's not. He's not really kind of the folk. Yeah, they don't. They weirdly don't even mention his yeah. name, which is. Maybe maybe Unsolved Mysteries was under threat of legal action or something if they brought him into this. But anyway, um, so uh, basically what happens is um, Larry and Melissa go to Dade City for the weekly rodeo and then they go out with some, you know, it ends really late and then they go out with some friends for like late, late dinner, early breakfast. And then they finally go back to Larry's trailer at like 4 a.m. Um and then it's, you know, the next day or something, and Melissa's family 
hits up Erlo and Erlo's like, well, no one reported for work this morning, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so Erlo goes over to Larry's trailer. Uh, you know, he doesn't. He knocks on the door a bunch. No one answers. He ends up calling the sheriff. And then there's a reenactment of them opening the trailer door. Now it's only been a day, but they're like really acting like like some corpses have been rotting in there for. That's a while what had me perplexed when they open the door. I'm like, it's only been a. It's only. It's not even been a day. It's been like 12 hours. It takes a while for a body to start decomposing. And, and that's and that's even in Florida weather right yeah it's gonna take a minute so i didn't really understand that with the reenactment it made it seem like a lot more time had passed before the sheriff and uncle Erlo go into the trailer right they like they they open the door just a crack and they're like both the 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 the, the sheriff and uh, uncle Erlo are like oh, oh, oh waving their hands and it's like i had a similar thought i was like it doesn't a body doesn't begin to smell that quickly right no it doesn't so i don't really know why they threw that flavor in f- for the reenactment but that was strange uh yeah uh regardless um so larry was nude he was on his bedroom floor there was no sign of a struggle the bed was still made so he, he hadn't gone to bed yet um and he had been shot four times in the head with a handgun uh, a gun of Larry's was missing and Melissa was also not there. Uh, so one thing I think we should mention that Melissa's mother mentions is that Melissa's ex-boyfriend was ostensibly stalking her. Like mm-hmm. they found him out underneath the kitchen window of their house one night. Yeah, that, that's that, stalker behavior. That's the definition of it. What happens next in this segment is pretty wild to me because the family has all this evidence like Melissa was being stalked by her ex-boyfriend um, and obviously the ex-boyfriend knew where Larry lived. He was he worked with the guy like it's a small town. It's not you know what I mean? Like, he could have just yeah. been waiting there for them to come home. Mm-hmm. Instead, what the cops go with is they think <laughs> Melissa did it. <laughs> right. And we get an interview with um, Larry's ex-wife. And 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 basically, <laughs> his ex-wife <laughs> is, you know, trashing his dead ass. She was like, he would push a lot of buttons. He could make anybody angry. I wouldn't be surprised if she shot him. She was like, basically, he had it coming. Push and push. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, okay. Like, watching her interview, I was like, she doesn't really strike me as a unbiased witness right. on, on on the subject of Larry. Like, I mean, she definitely seems like, at the very least, like, oh, here's a chance for me to badmouth my my ex on on TV. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I'm not sorry he's dead. I'm like, well, why didn't they question her? Right. Seems like maybe right. she was involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, there's this whole tale that gets ginned up by the police that Melissa did it. She ran out into the woods. And then there's all these sightings of seeing her at truck stops all across the South and this, that, and the other mm-hmm. thing, even though no one could ever actually identify her and like all this other stuff. And like, you know, Uncle Erlo and Melissa's pa- his family are like, we know she's dead. We know who did it. 
can we just get some justice in this world? And it's like, yeah, I wish you could. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Abs- sounds like you got a doggy situation going on. I do. We're just going to we're just going to move past it. Um, Like I said, I'm basically recording yeah. outside. There's no soundproofing in this room anymore. Uh, OK, so I don't know, Robbie, what do you think happened here? What I can say for an absolute certainty, because I did look up the city of Dade uh, because they, they it said they went to breakfast at 2 a.m. Right after the after the rodeo. So I did a I did a bit of a Google search in Dade, and because I was going to just run under the assumption that they had breakfast at Waffle House. I think that's a, I there think is that's no, fair. No, yeah, no, no yeah, Waffle I, House. I, I, there's no Waffle House. Had there been, I would have just been like, oh yeah, they totally had breakfast there. Just because you know you're like it's late at night, it's guaranteed they're going to be open. You know, I'll get, we'll get, we'll have an assured amount of quality. I mean, they listed so many places. I don't know where, where they, they had breakfast at. Um, not that, not that that really affects us to what happened with this, this murder. I'm sorry. Um, uh, well, admittedly, well, I thought know, about it as well. I just assumed it was a waffle house <laughs> because of the late yeah. night nature of it, as well as they said they had breakfast. Yeah. So. And then what I noticed in the reenactment of the rodeo, which, by the way, do you think that was a reenactment Unsolved Mysteries put on? Or do they know there was some rodeo type thing going on somewhere and they found a way to piggyback onto that? That's a really good question. It felt like maybe they just piggybacked onto a real rodeo. That would have been the sensible thing to do because that would really cut down on the production cost, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, but what I noticed is when Larry was getting to write, getting ready to ride out to do his rodeo stuff, um, they the reenactress playing Melissa comes up to him and kisses him, and I'm like, wait, that you you just said that these guys were keeping it a secret. Um, well, they were in Dade I City, mean, not Lakeland. Oh, they were in a different town. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, never mind on that. Anyway, the one thing I did notice related to the murder was in the reenactment of the investigation of the crime scene. They had one one of the investigators shaking out all of Larry's cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of tickled me silly. I should. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. It's. It's a murder and it's a serious thing. But it was kind yeah. of. That was. That was. A, that was a interesting thing to throw in there. Um. I mean, like you said, this guy. If this guy's still alive and unsolved mysteries was, was afraid to mention it, I'll just. But I'll just say it is like. I mean, we we know that he was stalking Melissa. Uh, and then we have that rain. I, I feel like unsolved mysteries was at least trying to subtly suggest with the, that reenactment of him, like staring out at them with the sinister music blade. I mean, if it wasn't him, who was it? Well, it was Melissa. Oh, we, that's right. That's right. That's, that's the alternative. I, <laughs> like, 
I like the the cop that they interview for this. The what the story he's trying to spin out why Melissa would have done it, and she's like, "Well, he's like, I don't think the ex boyfriend would have done it just because he said he didn't do it." So, <laughs> like, what the fuck? What? Like, he's the if most live obvious in a wor- suspect. You doinks! Like, come on now, Christoph. We live in a world where we just can't take someone at the at their word. <laughs> yeah i mean what a dire place that would be oh my god (laughs) anyway well we don't get an update i don't think from unsolved mysteries um but i do have some notes in the wiki if you're interested sure um so the results are unresolved uh melissa and larry are now believed to have been killed by joe and danny cerizzo of deland florida uh, Danny is Melissa's ex-boyfriend. According to Joe, the brother, I guess, of Danny. Mm-hmm. According to Joe, she's buried somewhere in the green swamp of Central Florida. Sounds like a very made-up place to me, but okay. Neither were charged in the yeah. crime due to the lack of cooperation from the Polk County State Attorney's Office. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. What's that about? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe died in November 2008, but before his death, he confessed to the crime, adding that Danny had shot the first shot. Danny suffers from throat cancer, but still goes about his daily business as a forest ranger in the Florida Forest Service. So, if, you know, any rumpers want to run into this guy and give him peace of your mind. He's out there, out there uh, covering his crimes, I guess, in the Forest Service. What you mean is, if you want to do that, we can't be held responsible for yeah, the I'm not consequences. Say, I, I, you know, I'm not saying if you just want to have a conversation with him out in the green swamp, you know, that he's obviously patrolling so no one finds evidence of his crimes, then, you know, that's up to you. I'm not telling you to do anything. Hey, in 2014, though, Danny was indicted for lying to a Florida grand jury in relation to this case. I don't know what he lied about. Yeah. This is weird. It's weird because there's two segments in a row where it's like, pretty clear who did it yet charges aren't ever brought on those people like we all know who did it motive and the evidence is there yeah but yet they are just living their lives (laughs) right well that's depressing uh <laughs> uh, well, we have yet another. I don't even have a clean segue for this because we've done so fucking many of these with these lost, goddamn World War II era lost loves. Um, right. I just, this has to be the umpteenth time we're going to talk about what is ostensibly the same story. Hi, Craig here from the Bachelor Masters podcast. Do you watch The Bachelor shows ironically, like we do? Do you think critically about the socio-political ramifications of what occurs in the shows, like we do? If so, we're the podcast for you. We, The Bachelor Masters, combine deep dives into the show's problems with jokes and even some sound effects to deliver what we think is a well-rounded podcast you'll enjoy after every episode. So give us a listen, as ironically as you want, on your favorite podcast app. That's The Bachelor Masters, a bridge burner podcast.
so just a little behind the scenes for the for the listeners, and I know we've mentioned this before. We, generally, before we start recording, we kind of like divvy up the segments. Who's going to take the lead on this? And Robbie, you were very adamant that you were not going to take the lead on this one, which is fine. That's true. I would just like to put you on Are the you- spot now that we're recording and ask you why. Uh, well, I actually have an answer for that, and I'm not. Too terribly embarrassed to admit that okay. uh, I have the fewest uh, number of notes on this segment. Oh, <laughs> so I just... you're still taking notes? <laughs> well, I thought I thought that was well. Good for th- you. Th- th- thank you. Well, well, when you say still taking, you uh-huh. suggest that uh, I didn't stop at some point. Oh well, I I, don't, I haven't taken a note on this show since like 2018. So yeah, that that's that, that sounds about when I stopped taking them. Uh huh. Um. Or, you know, taking them in the sort of formal setting as opposed to sort of like I'm watching it and like so, something comes to my pops in my head I'm like, oh, that would be a funny thing to mention. And I yeah. hurriedly jot it down on the, the nearest piece of anything to write on, which is usually a, a, a leftover napkin from mm-hmm. from a fast food place. Yeah. Uh, but it's very on brand. Um, yes. But for um, reasons that we can't yet delve into right uh uh-huh. I, I i was like well i gotta up my game i gotta up my game robbie you, made, you did make a commitment less poopy talk more note taking yes yes but that's you post that on yourself no one asked you to do that you can still continue to talk about your butthole and not take notes as far as i'm concerned well i feel like i really owe it to to our our pod our listeners our patreons our other people um, uh-huh. that to to take notes, uh, but I I am willing to uh, not only continue to make references to human bowel movements, but uh, possibly mm-hmm. even increase the amount of references. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, we got to get those numbers up. I feel like I'm eating a well, lot more fiber mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. I um, you know, I have uh, sometimes I need a salad. Like I need some vegetables, I need something cold and crisp. Mm-hmm. I like to eat a salad sometimes. I like to eat vegetables generally. I like to eat some raw fruit from time to time. I'm- but man, that just uh, my body doesn't know what to do with that most of the time. Oh, I see. Oh, just complete rejection. Oh. Of anything, just healthy not happy not a good time for me that's unfortunate because i feel like uh, it is because i'm just getting old and fatter and i would like to eat better but it makes me feel terrible and this is my life that sucks i i feel like yeah because i've I've started doing this thing where for lunch um i'm having this like this falafel wrap i make uh, yeah, I, I just I I, I was you love a falafel. Yeah, I was I was on the internet and I was looking up you know like Middle Eastern recipes that you can make with stuff from Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's great. Yeah, uh, I I take this Mid East flatbread, spread some hummus on it, mm-hmm. some yum red tunisian something her uh, something spicy kind of almost too hot uh-huh. so i only put on a little bit uh, i warm up uh-huh. uh three pieces of falafel um and then i 
I take half a sliced Persian cucumber and some mm. onions. Yeah. So I'm getting more vegetable matter in there than like uh-huh. is usually the standard for me for much of my life throughout my 30s. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's really uh, I enjoy eating it. And I don't know. I feel mm-hmm. like my body has responded like, oh, yes, more vegetables, please. I mean, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. I would love to eat that. That would wreck my body for three days uh, if I ate that. Oh, wow. Like I would be. I mean, I love hummus. I love falafel. Yeah. I'm Just sign me up for all. Yeah. The raw onion. I would die. I would die. I would simply pass away oh, no. from eating that. Yeah, it's not great. Anyways, <laughs> well, we've probably vamped enough. We can probably talk about uh, this stupid lost love. Yes. <laughs> it's not stupid. It's just we've done so many of these that are all. And the general theme is the baby trade of the 30s and 40s. Yes. World War II slash Depression era. And so this comes, this actually comes at the very end of uh, the Second World War. Mm-hmm. We're talking months after it's over, you know, and all the GIs are coming back and, yeah. you know, no one's really doing the math on how old their kid is. <laughs> it's, you know, there's, there's a lot fine. going like, on. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's, it's you know, that's... there's a lot happening. Yeah. And uh, uh, semen. First class Donald Caffrey is uh, he's on a train going from Seattle and he's going um, he's going home to Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska after he's been at sea for two years. And you know how things are when you're at sea for two years. It's real. Don't ask. Don't tell situation. Yeah. Out there. And uh, so on his train ride home in the smoker car. uh he runs to someone named Dorothy Johnson, who's a 17 year old. And she's traveling with a, with a small child, I guess, 11 month old Yvonne at that point. Uh, she's been separated from her husband. She's trying to make it to upstate New York. Uh, it's a long, Hey, that's a long fucking ride from Seattle. That's completely across the country. Yeah. What was she doing in Seattle? That's kind of the question I want to know. Maybe like, She'd ended up there with her husband. Now they're separated. And now she's going home to her family or something. Anyway, because it's a long tra- train ride, Donald and uh, Donald and Dorothy um, get to be kind of travel buddies. And and Dorothy uh, asks Donald to hold her baby, baby Yvonne. And, um, you know, they, they sh- shared some things about themselves. And uh, uh, Dorothy says, you know, when she gets to gets back to Utica with her family or whatever, she's going to end up having to put Yvonne in a foster home. And um, Donald got to thinking about it. And the closer he got to Omaha, he says, well, you know, Dorothy, I, you know, I have a wife at home and we don't have any children and and we can comfortably support a baby. So so until you get yourself sorted out instead of putting the kid in foster care, why don't, why don't you let us take the kid? And so they draw up some kind of adoption framework or custody framework on a napkin or whatever, because Donald very wisely thought, well, 
you know, if we don't, I don't get her to sign something here. It's just going to look like I kidnapped her baby. <laughs> <laughs> so very smartly, he thinks ahead. And he's like, I should have her sign off on something that she willingly gave me her kid. And, um, okay, you know, she's 17, probably not making the best decisions. <laughs> but whatever. Right. Uh, so Donald brings baby Yvonne home to his wife in Omaha and the wife is, you know, as Donald, as elder Donald describes it, the wife is a little, little sus. Yeah. I little, you know, it's a little bit of Ned Stark, Jon Snow situation here. You know what I mean? Like very much. Okay. Very much so. I, I also liked how, yeah, <laughs> I liked, uh, older, older Donald. He was, um, when he's describing the situation, he was like, so I gave her the good news. <laughs> it's like, man, if he had that level of um, oblivious enthusiasm at the time that he brought the baby, <laughs> presented the baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but yeah, it is. Um, I, I very much was like just watching the reenactment of her, him getting off the train and he's got the baby and the wife's like, Oh, who's this? And uh, I'm just like, Oh man, this, I feel like it's kind of, feels like it's kind of, a, um, you know, just an unfair thing to be like, honey, we have a kid now. <laughs> well, I mean, if uh, presumably when all these guys were coming back from the war, that's, you know, that's why we have, the baby boomer generation, right? It's people wanted to start their families. Yeah. Oh, that's and, fair. Um, they, you know, probably, I'd, yeah, I'd admit like, you're right. They probably would have go gotten ahead. to work on it pretty quickly. anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, he just saved his wife, the trouble of a pregnancy basically. And just was like, here, a ba- here's, here's a baby. And she does actually seem to some seem to come around to that line of thinking too, because apparently she. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, and I have to admit, if uh, my husband David came home, um, you know, as we're thinking about having children sometime in the future, if he and he knows this about me, if he just like came home with a baby, mm-hmm. I'd be like, you steal this baby. And if he was like, no, here's the paper that proves that I'd be like, OK, let's just raise this baby. I'd be totally OK with that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> OK. I would be like, that's fine. I don't need to do the whole pregnancy bit. Yeah. We can just we can just have this one that you found, I guess. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, if you if you can you know get to choose the kid's name, who, who you know that's really the most important yeah. thing, right? Yeah. So uh, thus begins. Uh, so the Caffreys become very att- attached to Yvonne, and eventually they file for formal uh, formal custody mm-hmm. of Yvonne. They they do rename her something. What is it? Um, oh, uh, I have three notes on the segment, so don't ask me. Uh. Yeah, they name her something else. Her adult name is, oh, Sandra. Sa- okay. Right. They rename her Sandra Lee. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so they, they go to court and basically Dorothy Johnson, the mother is kind of stuck in a weird situation, which is basically like she's being charged with parental neglect for ditching her child in Nebraska. So if she shows up to try and speak for herself and gain custody, she can also be arrested for having ditched her kid in the first place. Weird catch 22 here. Um, So she can't come speak on her own behalf. And there's a really funny 
sort of reenactment in the court where her sister, <laughs> Dorothy's sister, comes to speak on her behalf, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, Dorothy's sister's like, you know, if you send the child home with me, I, I can be financially responsible for it. I can help raise it. And, you know, Dorothy really misses her kid a lot. Um, you know, this was not intended to be a permanent situation. So I'm asking for you to for you to grant me custody of this. And the judge, without hesitating, hits his gavel and goes, denied. <laughs> and then Crystal, that, that's, uh, I guess it's that's a- one of the three things I have notes on. I, I have here sister and underneath it <laughs> smash cut to request denied. Yeah. Oh, didn't even think about it. Didn't even think about yeah. that about it. He was like the fuck out of here. Go back to New York. <laughs> Baby stays in Nebraska. So the Caffreys get full custody, et cetera, et cetera. Now, under some circumstances, which are very quickly glazed over, the Caffreys end up separating. And then Yvonne, now Sandra Lee, ends up in custody of her grandmother. Yes. Or rather, her adoptive mother's mother. Yeah. And um, I guess there were some... You know, so there was a lot of press coverage and stuff when she was a baby and this custody thing was going on. And she's called the smoker car baby. And, you know, as uh, Sandra Lee gets older, she gets some mailings of these clippings from the newspaper. And she finds out from her grandmother, who's raising her, that some anonymous woman had called the house asking for the address and asking permission to send these things to Sandra Lee. And, and Sandra Lee believes very strongly it, it had been her, mo- her biological mother mm-hmm. who'd reached out. Um, Donald Caffrey, like I said, is interviewed for the segment. Um, he's kind of like takes the tack of like, well, she like never even called or showed up to try and get her kid back. And it wasn't until we were going through the custody hearings that her sister showed up. So I'm not really sure what to make of all that, you know, which is fair. I guess, but it's probably a question of means. Yeah. You know, just because Dorothy Johnson didn't have the means to travel all the way back to Nebraska to present to get her child herself doesn't mean she wasn't. For sure. Wanting, you know, this is a very complicated situation as these things often are. Uh, So basically, long short of it is adult Sandra Lee is looking for her biological uh, mother. And would like to get to know her. And then, of course, we get an update. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Dorothy Johnson had passed away before the segment aired. But uh, there was a smattering of aunts and uncles that did want to meet Sandra Lee from that part of her family. And so there was a very nice reenactment they had mm-hmm. um, where she gets she traveled to upstate New York and got to meet her, uh, you know. Yeah. Aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff like that. So I uh she doesn't know anything about her biological father either. So she's trying to find him now, but you know. Yeah, that's probably gonna be difficult. Probably not gonna go anywhere with yeah. that. So um and and now Sandra Lee is dead. That's what, Oh well that one's really gonna be difficult then. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a tough one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh <laughs> Uh, watching this segment, the one thing I, 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 when, cause you know, they have the, the reenactment on the train car and whatnot, which by the way, uh, do you think there's any chance at all that train car just wasn't completely stationary when they were shooting? <laughs> they, they basically, they went to a train museum, right? And they just got shot and yeah. Yeah. And then, like, it's yeah. like there's there's a couple of times where it kind of feels like the reenact all the reenactors in the car train car kind of like 
trying to make it seem like they're swaying a little bit because you know like the train's in motion Mm -hmm. um but i you know when when they're talking and they kind of they they concoct this 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 plan uh you know on the one hand it would seem like just totally insane right like like Mm -hmm. like if i if you heard about someone doing this today you just be like what you 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 just handed your kid over to like someone you met on the train and you signed a (laughs) signed a document on a napkin um yeah but of course as you mentioned you know in this era of baby trading like the georgia tans of the world were out there so maybe this this mother is just like well my my odd the odds are much better if I hand it off to this like member of the United States Armed Forces than if I risk Georgia Tan or any of the other baby mill people get, getting their hands on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the weird sort of tragedy of this is for as hard as the Caffrey's fought to keep custody. I guess they didn't fight that hard if the judge was just like, no, you get the baby. But uh, <laughs> as as much as they, and then they separated and then somehow neither one of them ends up. That, that's the weird taking thing. Taking care of yeah. Sandra Lee full time. That seemed very strange. I feel like there's kind of a story there too. It's that her, uh, her adoptive mother's mother ends up being the one who ostensibly raises her as a teenager. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. I mean, obviously, like the dad is still around. He was interviewed for the segment, so I'm not really sure. It does. It does seem like what happened. Yeah, it does seem like if they run into a situation like that, like, and neither of them are having the kid, you know, have the kid. They could. It feels yeah. like you know at that point you're like, eh, it's kind of a fair thing to maybe ask whether this other gal who actually pop this kid out <laughs> might want to yeah, might want to crack at her i don't i mean that would i mean that would probably have been well probably would have been really disruptive for sandra lee at that point in her life oh, to be yeah. with a stranger but i don't i mean like i don't know this i don't know it's just there's there's a lot of families are messy i guess and well, especially in this yes i've, I've watched of, like, game of thrones i i understand <laughs> you're right it's yeah. a real john snow situation right <laughs> right yeah. um it's just it's just kind of it's just kind of messy yeah i don't know well i'm you know i'm glad sandra lee at least got to meet some of her biological family that was a good bit and uh for all intents and purposes that's where this episode of unsolved mysteries ends yes is on that happy on that happy note hey robbie if people want to get in touch with us how should they do that uh well go ahead and send us that email reenactedpod at gmail.com uh reenact at reenacted pod twitter slide on over to patreon uh we got the one dollar tier if you just want to help show your support to the program if you join up on the five dollar tier other things in addition to that might happen um and uh you know there's there's a facebook presence of some sort i saw someone mm. joined the facebook group i was like oh i've been kind of derelict on posting stuff on there again so i better plaster mm. some more screenshots on there and pretend that we're we're active so there you go mm-hmm. 
Are we on Truth Social yet? I hear that's an up and coming thing. Oh right, Truth. Um, I'll I'll look I'll look into that. Okay. Well, don't look too hard. You might rot your brain out. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> hey, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, perhaps someone might know the truth. That perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. 